Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Oasis, and we're glad that you're joining us live stream this morning as well from your homes. Psalm 97 this morning. You know, before the message, I just want to say this. One of the advantages of two services for me is I get to go through all those wonderful worship songs again, twice in one day. And we certainly invite you, if you want to stay for both services, you, you go for it, you know? Uh, in fact, you could stay for worship in the second service and then leave, because I know hearing me again would not be, you know. Um, Psalm 97 is about the glory of the Lord, and we've certainly got a good dose of that through the songs that we've been singing. And I had to, I had to sort of grin as Dave was up here, uh, you know, welcoming everybody this morning and sharing what the Lord laid on his heart, because I told him when he came down off the platform, I said, I was going to mention Zechariah 9.9 at the very beginning of my message, because Psalm 97 is sort of in direct contrast to... Uh, the way Jesus came in and presented himself as the Messiah on Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday before uh, Friday when he was crucified. You know, Zechariah tells us about that scene, and he, he basically is, is reminding us that when Jesus came in that day, he came in humbly. And the, the psalm we're going to look at this morning is, is talking about the glorious return of the Lord and, and how his glory is just going to roll through and roll over the universe, unlike anything any of us have ever experienced. And, and one of the things God reminded me of as I was preparing this message was that my glory, he said, is incomprehensible. That as much as we can you know, grow in our understanding of the glory of God and all of that, it's, it's incomprehensible because God is incomprehensible. And when we speak about his glory, what we're speaking about is sort of the visible manifestation of his perfection, of his excellencies, of all of his attributes, of all the things that sum up God. That's what his glory is. And also his glory cannot be contained. When God's glory begins to, to roll through this universe, no one or nothing will ever be the same again, including us. And so I want us to come to Psalm 97, and I want us to be given these eyes from the Lord that can maybe see uh, a glimpse of his glory through the words of this psalm this morning as we look at a glimpse into the return of our king. Amen? I've divided this psalm up this morning into three sections. The first is what will be. And that includes the first six verses and then verses 8 and 9. And notice again how the psalmist starts this psalm out. The Lord reigns. He is king. He is on his throne. He is on his throne now. He has always been on his throne. He always will be on his throne ruling and reigning the universe that he created. He will never abdicate that throne. He will never be kicked off that throne. The Lord reigns. And because the Lord reigns, then he can speak about the future as if it's already happened. In fact, many times, that's what we get when we study prophecy. It's called prophetic perfect language. It's as if God is speaking in past tense about something that 
has yet to happen. Because from God's perspective, if he says it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. And so I want us this morning to just read with me, you follow along, and I want to read these verses that talk about what will be as the Lord of glory comes and begins to roll his glory over his universe. Because remember, even creation is under the curse. And even creation will be affected and respond to the return of Christ and to the glory of the Lord when it comes. In fact, the Bible tells us that even when Jesus comes back, the very topography of this earth will be changed. And you see that in this psalm. In fact, even in Zechariah, it tells us that when Jesus sets foot on the Mount of Olives, that literally that mountain will be split in two. So everything is going to change. Nothing is going to ever be the same when the king of glory, as Nicole talked about from Psalm 24, comes back to earth. So notice what the psalmist says. The Lord reigns. And as he comes to reign, let the earth be happy or rejoice. Let the many coastlands, a, a, a thing that talks about the most distant lands on the earth, be glad and rejoice. Dark clouds, the thickness of his glory surrounds him or accompanies him when he comes. And equity or righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He will set things right once and for all when he comes back. Fire, purifying and consuming fire that is displayed from his glory goes before him. On every side it burns up his enemies all adversaries on earth that will oppose him and his coming rule and reign. His lightning bolts light up the world. Literally, the light and flashes of his glory will be what lights up the world. The inhabitants of the earth will see and they will tremble. The mountains, which you and I even would say, they are symbols of, of stability. I mean, nothing is more sure than a mountain, right? Even the mountains will be moved at the coming and glory of the Lord. They will melt like wax. They will dissolve in his glorious presence before the face of God, before the Lord of not just part of the earth, but the whole earth. You see, when God appears in his glory, it's going to have a universal effect. Again, no one or nothing will ever be the same when his glory rolls over the universe. The sky, verse 6, declares his justice, and all the nations will see his splendor and his glory. Then if you go down to verse 8, Zion, the seat of God's kingdom, hears and rejoices. The towns of Judah are now happy because of your judgments, O Lord, on behalf of your people. For you, O Lord, you are the sovereign king, literally the most high. And you are elevated and exalted over not just part of the earth, but the whole earth. You are elevated or exalted high above all gods. This is what will happen one day. We're going to be there and see this glorious return of our king. And no one or nothing will ever be the same. And you can mark it down. Everything that we've read here in Psalm 97 is going to happen just as God said. Why? Because the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. 
When you think about the glorious coming of the Lord, I think about verses like Matthew 24, 29, and 30, where Jesus said immediately after the suffering of those days, speaking of the great tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds in power and great glory. Revelation 1-7, look, he is returning with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes will mourn because of him. This will certainly come to pass, John says, and then he says, amen. Revelation eleven fifteen. John writes, and the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And then one more passage from Revelation I'd like to share with you. Then I saw heaven opened, and here came a white horse. The one riding it was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and goes to war. His eyes are like fiery flame, and there are many diadem crowns on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He is dressed in clothing, dipped in blood, and he's called the Word of God. The armies that are in heaven, dressed in white, clean, fine linen, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth extends a sharp sword, so that with it he can strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod and stomp the winepress of the furious wrath of God, the all-powerful. He has a name written on his clothing and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is what will be one day the glorious coming and return of the Lord, so different than the first time he came. When he came riding on a donkey, presenting himself as the Messiah, when he came humbly into Jerusalem, the next time he comes, he's coming in power and great glory. He's going to unveil his glory. But you and I, as God's people, we get a glimpse of his glory right now as we worship him through his word, through prayer, through coming together as his people, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we get glimpses of that glory even now. And therefore, it should make a difference not only with what we know is coming, but how we should presently live now. In fact, going back to Psalm 97, not only do we see in this psalm what will be, we also see in this psalm what should be. What should be. Based on the first three words of the psalm. The Lord reigns. He is king. He rules. He is on his throne forever and ever. How does that truth make a difference in the way you and I live our lives now in preparation for our coming and glorious king? In fact, ladies of the Oasis, even those of you that are watching this morning, 
I want you to help me this morning. I want you with feeling, because you mean it, to repeat after me these words, just the ladies for this time. The Lord reigns. Amen. I want you to think about that. Don't just say it, think about it. How does that truth, how do those three words change the way you live every day? Gentlemen of the Oasis, with feeling because you mean it, would you please repeat after me? The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. I like it. How do those words change your approach to every day? Does it change your outlook and your perspective? Keeping that truth in front of your eyes every day, the Lord reigns. And that not only means then we know what will be, because he reigns. It should also motivate us about what we should be. And we find that in verses 10, 11, and 12. In fact, I'm going to ask you ladies to engage with me again. I'm going to keep you awake today instead of falling asleep. Would you please repeat after me as I share these words? Just the ladies. Verse 10. You who love the Lord, you who love the Lord. hate evil. He protects the lives of his faithful followers. He delivers them from the power of the wicked. Amen. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Gentlemen of the Oasis, would you please repeat after me? Verse 11, the godly bask in the light. The morally upright experience joy. You godly ones, rejoice in the Lord. Give thanks to his holy name. If the verses we looked at previously speak to us about what will be because the Lord reigns. These verses speak to us now as God's people who are yet waiting for his return about who we should be. And notice what it says. Verse 10, first of all, we should be a people who love God. That should be the primary defining characteristic of our lives, that we love God. That was the mark that Jesus even said to his disciples. This love will be the mark of those who follow me, that you love others as I have loved you, and that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but we need to be marked as people who truly love the Lord, and that what we do and how we serve and how we live is not out of duty and obligation and, and religious adherences. It's out of our love for God. But when we love God, because love is a discriminating affection, then we're going to lay aside everything that does not line up 
and is contrary to his nature, which is why in this very same verse, it says that not only should our lives be marked by loving him, but also by hating evil. By, by separating ourselves and staking, taking a stand against anything that will diminish his glory, you see. We must stand against anything that is contrary to our God. And as we do this, because many Christians today, especially in the climate and culture in which we live, it's, it gets tougher and tougher to put yourself out there, right, and take a, a stand for God. We need the courage and strength of the Lord, but notice what God promises. He will protect the lives of his faithful followers. He will deliver them from the power, or literally the clutches of the wicked. God will watch over us and preserve us and rescue us and save us. And we can have confidence then as we live our lives, and that's what our lives should be marked about, uh, by confidence and trust in the Lord, and, and if God does allow something to happen, again, he reigns. It's still all in his hands, but we can trust him. You know, Paul shared that same truth in 2 Timothy to Timothy. He says, God has delivered me from every evil deed, and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen, Paul said. Paul wasn't worried about dying. Paul was concerned about living to the fullest for Christ. Whatever that meant, if it meant imprisonment, if it meant, you know, torture, if, if it meant lashes, if it meant scourging, if it meant slander and, and, and malice and all of that, Paul said, bring it on because my king reigns. And one day I'm going to be glad that I was all in for my king because when his glory comes, it's going to roll over this universe and nothing's ever going to be the same again. Our lives should also be marked by clarity. Notice verse 11, the godly literally sow or plant in the light. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. We do not have to grope around and see what our next step should be as Christians. God gives us his light, and the Lord is my light and my salvation, the Bible says. We always have the light of, of God with us as God's children, lighting up the way before us. It might only be a step at a time, but God will make sure that his light lights us up because we live in the light of God because we are light in him, the Bible teaches. He is the light of the world, and then he told us that we are the light of the world through the light that he reflects and gives to us, again, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And God wants us to bask in that light, live in that light, enjoy that light, sow and plant in that light. Another marker of those and what we should be is a joyful, rejoicing, thankful, worshiping, praising people. Notice he says, the morally upright or God's faithful followers 
experience joy. Joy. This inner sense of well-being that, that goes beyond our circumstances and our situation. You godly ones, rejoice. Take pleasure in the Lord. Be continually worshiping him and praising his holy name. This should be the mark. This is what we should be. We should be a people who love the Lord and hate evil. We should be a people who trust God to protect and provide and be confident that he has us because he reigns. We should be a people of clarity who live in the light and bask in that light and sow and plant and serve in that light. And we should be a worshiping people, a people who can't wait to come together as God's people a couple times a week and worship together and then learn to worship privately and personally and have our own worship time of God every day to be a people who express our joy, our gratitude, our adoration, our thankfulness to God for who he is. Because guess what, folks? He's made us a part of his eternal glorious kingdom and he has shared his glory with us throughout eternity. That is something we should forever be praising and worshiping him and thanking him about, you see. So the psalmist says, this is what will be. This is what should be. And then I want to talk for just a few moments this morning about what could be. Because why I say it that way is this is really now down to our choice. And not that the principles we looked at in verse 10, 11, and 12 are not our choice too. It, it's a choice to love, because love is a choice. It's a choice to trust God with everything and anything. It's a choice to walk in his light, and it's a choice to worship him. But there's one other sort of major choice I want to talk about and I want to couch it in the context of not just what will be and what should be, but what could be. And that's the one verse in the middle of the psalm, verse 7. What's the psalmist talking about when he talks about the foolishness of idolatry? Well, he's reminding us. Remember he talked about how his fire, this purifying, consuming fire is going to go out and, and basically consume everything contrary to him, that, that's part of what his glory does. It literally consumes everything that is not aligned with who he is, things that are not done for his glory. And so that's why in the middle of this psalm, talking about the return of the king, the return of Jesus Christ to this earth to set up his earthly kingdom and to display his fullness of glory he wants to talk about the foolishness of idolatry. And you and I, we've got to quit having the concept of idolatry in our minds as things that sit on a shelf. Because today, idolatry is not expressed by what we have on our shelf as much as the struggle we have with self. Because idolatry at its very core is just putting anything in place of God or whatever takes the place of God in our lives, whatever we're devoting our time, our energy, our effort to that is out of sync with 
where God should be in our life. And that's why the psalmist says in verse 7, notice, all, not just some, and he's talking here not just to non-people of God, he's talking here to the people of God. All who worship idols, literally the word means nothings, are ashamed. One day we will be disappointed and disillusioned because the things that we put our time and energy and effort to that were nothing compared to God are going to be burned up and consumed by his glory. Those who boast or are preoccupied with worthless things and all the gods of this world all the gods that the world create to take the place of God will one day bow down before him. Because we know that when he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what's this speaking to us about? Well, it's saying to us that when Jesus comes, his coming will reveal what every last human being has truly lived for. Think about that, even as Christians. When he comes, his glory is going to reveal truly what you and I have lived for. What was our passions? What was our priorities? What did we put our time, our money, our energy, our effort into? All of that will be revealed when he comes. So the psalmist is saying, if we truly believe what will be one day, then shouldn't we be what verses 10 through 12 talk about? And shouldn't we then be investing and living for what really matters every day of our lives rather than wasting our lives on worthless things or things that a thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, a million years from now won't even matter. See, the psalmist is trying to get us to say this, is, this could be different for all of us because, folks, listen, Peter talks about some Christians getting an abundant entrance into the kingdom, right? Well, the implication is not every Christian is going to receive an abundant entrance into the kingdom. Not every Christian is going to hear from the Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Not every Christian has laid up treasure in heaven and invested in eternal things. Not every Christian does that. In fact, you can turn from Psalm 97 and go to, with me to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul himself talks about this very thing in 1 Corinthians 3 to the Corinthian Christians, beginning in verse 10. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation... Someone else builds on it. Each one must be careful how he builds, basically what we do with our lives. For no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work, each human being's work, each Christian's work 
will be plainly seen for the day, the day the Lord returns in glory and his glory sweeps over this universe, it will make everything clear because everything will be revealed by the glorious fire that comes from the Lord. And notice, this fire from his glory or of his glory will literally test what kind of work each has done. Now, again, folks, we're not talking here about salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. What we're talking about is what have we lived for and what is our life going to count for throughout eternity? What have we done for the Lord with our life, even as Christians? And notice what he says. If what someone has built survives, he will receive a reward. In fact, many of them, according to the word of God. If someone's work is burned up, it does not pass the test. It is burned up in the fire of God's glory. He will suffer loss. Yes, will Christians suffer loss when God comes back, absolutely, because a lot of what some Christians have lived for is going to be burned up. They have lived for lesser things, things that don't really matter, nothings, if you will, idols of this world that they've wrapped and pursued their life in and been, been passionate about. It's all going to burn up. It's not going to mean a thing. And so, therefore, they're not going to have much or anything to show for their life with God because it gets consumed because that's what God's glory does. It will consume everything one day that does not line up with him. And notice it says, we're not talking about loss of salvation because that can't happen. He or she himself will be saved. They'll go to heaven. They'll be part of eternal glory in that sense but only as through fire. That their earthly life basically counted for nothing for Christ. They did nothing for the majority of their lives that made it through the fire of his glory, all consumed. They're in heaven. They're saved, but nothing to show for it. Oh. The psalmist is saying these words to us to say, you're still alive. He hasn't come yet. What could be? What could be? Isn't it time that all of us focus on the things that really matter and making sure that the priorities of our life line up with the priorities that God has laid out for us in his word. Isn't this why later on in this very same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says these words, whatever you do, even your eating and drinking, do what? Do it all to the what? The glory of God. Even the very mundane things of life, the things that we do routinely every day are to be done to the glory of God because if we do everything to his glory, then it will not be burned up by his glory. It will transfer into eternity. What could be? You know, yesterday I did another funeral over at Gilbert Memorial Park been doing a lot of funerals lately. 
And it just reminds me how life is so precious. It is such a precious gift. And God just gives us a short time here on earth to live our lives for him. James says, our life is a vapor. We appear for a short time and then it goes away. I don't know whether some of you saw it or not, but especially because of COVID the last couple of years, the, now the average lifespan has dropped a little bit and now we're at 76 years. That's the average lifespan of a human being on earth, 76 years. Compare that to eternity. Even if you live to the average age now of a human being on earth, 76 years compared to forever? And God is saying, I don't give you much time on earth, but you don't need much time. Because our lives aren't measured by how long we live, but what we do with our lives while we're here. That's why many people who never really lived long lives have made huge impacts on this world, including our Lord Jesus. He didn't need to live 150 years to make an impact. He only needed to live a little over 30. Because what he did with the years that he had, he lived every day to do the will of his Father in heaven. And Jesus is laying out an example for us. He's saying to us, especially as God's people, wake up. We are hurtling towards eternity like we're on a bullet train. And, and eternity is coming fast and furious for every last one of us. And we're going to be in the presence of our glorious Lord and Savior one day. And his glory is literally going to roll over this universe and nothing or no one is ever going to be the same. Everything's going to change. And his glory is literally going to consume everything that was not done to and for his glory. What could be? What could be? That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Invest in eternal things. That's why he called the young man who kept building bigger barns and bigger storage houses and, and putting more and more stuff into them. He said, you're a fool because this night your soul is required of you. And then what's all this stuff going to mean to you? Nothing. There's one thing one thing that you and I get to do in this life that always has eternal implications, and that is one word, relationship. Relationship with God and our relationships with each other. When all is said and done, our life, our destiny, all of that, it's not going to be measured by how much stuff we had here. It's going to be measured by our relationship with him, our God, and the relationships, the lives that we touch, the impact, the influence, the imprint that we made on others and others made on us. That's what's going to matter throughout eternity. That's why Paul could say to the Philippians, you're going to be my joy and crown throughout eternity. 
The things that we did together on earth there in Philippi, the way God blessed and moved and worked, the way God brought people into his kingdom and strengthened other Christians, those are going to be the things that we talk about when we get up there. Those are going to be the things that really matter. And folks, the same thing is true with us here at the Oasis. The thing that's going to matter to all of us one day is what God did with us while we were here on this earth and what God did through us while we were here at the Oasis Church. The lives we touch, the people who were saved, the people who come to know the Lord, the people who, the Christians that, that were brought closer to the Lord, the people who thought they were too far away from God to be brought near to God. Those are the things that are going to count and matter one day. And those are the things we need to live for. Amen. What could be? When all is said and done, it really is reduced to this. Just living for Jesus. It's all about him. That's what it counts. That's what matters. Because he's the king of glory that Nicole talked about in Psalm 24. He's the one that's going to enter into this world one day. And he's not coming like he did the first time on a donkey, humbly, with his glory veiled. No, when he comes the next time, the universe, the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, everything in this universe is going to bow to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth is going to bow, acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what will be one day. So the psalmist says, in light of what will be one day, this is what should be, and all oh, we need to think about what could be. What could be. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. While they're coming and get, getting settled and get, getting set here, I really feel like God wanted me to, not that we don't always, but to extend an invitation today. To say, Let's get serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ and our lives that we have very briefly here on earth. And let's make sure that we are aligning our lives with what's really going to count and what's really going to matter one day. And when all is said and done, it's really about just Jesus. What have we done with Jesus? What have we done for Jesus? That's what's going to matter one day when the King of Glory comes. So as we sing this final song this morning, I'm just going to ask some of you, do you want to come here and just say, God, I'm recommitting myself to you. I'm recommitting. I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. But Lord, you've done something. You've moved in such a way today that I just want to come and, and, and I want to say to you, my Lord, and, and I want to say in the presence of my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm all in with you, God. You're more important to me than anything. And I realize we could all in one sense do that, but, but I know that God may be specifically moving and touching certain hearts and lives here today for some reason. And sometimes, too, it, for some of us, it just... It's something that sort of seals or marks a particular time in our life where we did that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this 
great song, Give Me Jesus, where we just say, you know what? Everything else is secondary compared to him. You're my number one, Lord. You're my number one. Father God, we want to worship you today. We want to acknowledge your rightful place in this church, in our lives, and one day, Lord, we know in the entire universe, you will be worshiped as you deserve. But God, right now, while we're still alive, we have this opportunity of what could be, what we can live for, what we could live for, what, what we could do with our lives. And I pray, God, that while you give us time and you speak to hearts and you move in our hearts, God, that we would move in response to what you're doing. God, as we sing this song of worship to you, may we sing it truly from our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing this song out to the Lord this morning.